Here it is! From deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, I want to get this out of the way at the start of the show so that there's uh, absolutely no need to um, hear the name spoken any later in the broadcast than is absolutely necessary. Um, you may have read announcements or rumors or reports. They're kind of all the same, aren't they? That um, former ex-President Donald Trump is considering, just considering, you know, he's a thoughtful kind of a cuss. He's considering starting up his own social network because he he misses he misses you and um uh, this came from Jason Miller his pudgy spokesperson i'm not supposed to say that you know cuz he has many spokespeople i just wanted to clarify which one i was referring to and um and it's not Stephen Miller you see what i'm he's the th- uh, miller said it would be about 2 months in the offing or off the inning and um, had no more details, although I'm betting on the name Sputter. But that's that's just me. You don't have to you don't have to bet like me. This isn't Reddit. Um, but he's back, so to say, in the public eye or ear. Um, with that announcement, and also he started calling into Fox again. He's forgiven Fox. This is a big-hearted cuss. And uh, he called in to um, defy us to forget what we saw on January 6th. It was zero threat. Look, uh, they went in. Uh, they shouldn't have done it. Uh, some of them went in, and they're they're hugging and kissing the police and the guards. You know, they they had great relationships. Now... There, there are two ways, really, in my opinion. It seems to me there's two ways to, to receive that, to interpret that. Two different prisms through which to view, view it. One is that probably um, n- n- unconsciously he's telling us what his view of foreplay is like. And that you know it just could be could be uh, marvelously revealing. And uh, and the other prism is of course good old mendacity. Hello, welcome to the show.
From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're not number one. That got me excited. According to this year's World Happiness Report, you could subscribe. But why bother? You're happy enough. Finland came out on top for the fourth straight year as the world's happiest country. Finland. You've, you've, you've seen the weather in Finland? Except it's not about that, apparently. Apparently. Seems kind of obvious now when I bring it up. Yes, Finland. Denmark, second. Why, they're socialists. What the hell? I, 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 I'm, now I'm. I'm all upset. I'm all confused now. How could that be with everything we've been told about them and that and that and them? Switzerland is third, so neutrality is good for you. Iceland and the Netherlands are the top five. What? Northern... Oh, yes, of course. We're not number one. We're number 19, we, the United States. 
Finland has uh, fared relatively well during the pandemic compared to other European countries, according, recording only 805 total deaths, according to Johns Hopkins. The country is consistently ranked high on the measures of mutual trust that have helped protect lives and livelihoods during the pandemic, according to the World Happiness Report. The uh, Finnish embassy tweeted <laughs> or, or sputtered, Our happiness stems from a balanced everyday life supported by good governance, trust, well-being, and equality. We could try those. The pandemic has not changed this long-lasting foundation. The uh, happiness rankings are based on citizens' evaluations of their own lives, so they could be wrong. They could be lying. The study uses data from the Gallup World Poll, which asks respondents to assess their life as a whole by imagining a ladder with the best possible life for them as 10 and the worst possible as zero. Why, a ladder with zero rungs, yeah, that would be a bad life. There was not, on average, a decline in well-being when measured by people's own evaluation of their lives during the pandemic. The uh, report is a publication of uh, some UN thing. Oh, there there it goes now. (laughs) Into the UN. Because we're not number one. Now, um, a couple of other items that uh, really have nothing to do with anything except themselves. They're not part of any regular feature on this program, so they don't have a theme or anything. So pardon me, but the African forest elephant is critically endangered. The African savanna elephant is endangered. Two different kinds of elephants. The Associated Press says elephant populations in Africa are more endangered than ever. That's in a report issued this week by the International Union for Conservation of Nature. Remember nature? She used to be nice. No, she never was nice. That's right. The two species of elephant had previously been grouped together as a single species, but they lobbied. You know, one elephant can... uh, They were classified as vulnerable by the IUCN. The number of African forest elephants, they're called that because they live... Okay, yes, it's obvious. Has fallen by more than 86% over the last three decades. The population of savanna elephants dropped by 60% over a 50-year period. Um, Africa currently has 415,000 elephants, counting the two species together. The savanna elephants, I don't need to tell you this, prefer more open plains and are found in various habitats across sub-Saharan Africa, Botswana, South Africa, and Zimbabwe having high concentrations. I, I think I may have mentioned before, that's where I met elephants was Botswana. They're cool. And no good deed goes unpunished. No wise solution is without its unexpected consequences. Even before the pandemic, Americans were already flushing far too many wipes into the sewer system, according to Bloomberg City Lab. After a year of uh, COVID things, the pipe-clogging problem has gotten worse. The uh, one person who's observed it from his vantage point as manager of a wastewater reclamation facility in Des Moines says sewer backups, pardon me, are up 50%. He attributes this to the flushing of wipes, which don't break down in water, 
like toilet paper does. Pardon me. We've always had the problem. It just hasn't been as big a problem as it is currently, he said. Sanitary wipes are more popular than ever in the 12 months through late January. Their sales surged 75%, according to data from Nielsen, which doesn't care what you watch on TV anymore, apparently. The blockages they create when flushed are dubbed fatbergs. They have become a costly headache. Des Moines Reclamation Authority spent more than $100,000 over the past year deployed, deploying specialized block-clearing trucks about 30 times. Similar problems plaguing cities and towns across the U.S., being forced to uh, spend more and more on fixing the problem. The term fatberg originated in the U.K. Thanks, mate. And describes the tangled black masses of wipes and congealed cooking fat that accumulate in sewage systems. Lovely word picture for your listening pleasure. One 40-metric-ton specimen under London... Oh, that was London. No, under London was estimated to be the size of a double-decker bus. Clogs happen further down the line, so most consumers aren't aware of them. Lack of visibility combined with higher wipe sales during the pandemic has exacerbated the problem, according to a professor in water resource management at the University of Georgia. You'd think he had more serious problems to deal with down there than that right now, but no, he says it's one of those out-of-sight, out-of-mind type things. The Charleston water system has faced some of its worst bouts with fatbergs in the last year. Fatbergs, ladies and gentlemen. We would have thought we'd see a huge drop because people are starting to go back to work, said the official there, but we haven't really noticed any major decrease in the amount of wipes that we're taking out of the system. The uh, water advocacy group, the NAAC, Sorry, the NACWA says flushed wipes are really a menace to the entire system. Consumers putting them down the drain while manufacturers don't always make it clear that the products can't and shouldn't be flushed. Charleston is in a federal lawsuit saying that flushable wipes do not break apart or disperse in a reasonable period of time, resulting in massive, continuous damage. Yes, wipe suits coming our way because we've been just being too good about the whole wipe thing. Uh, next, we'll read that uh, or hear that uh, banging elbows instead of handshakes is bad for the joint in question. Could happen. And now, ladies and gentlemen, We've got the ultra-modern knack Of getting oil from the deepest crack So give the boys just a bit of slack And say a hearty what the frack An Oregon agency has opted to leave millions of pounds of illegally dumped radioactive fracking waste where it is in an eastern Oregon landfill. The Department of Energy's decision come, comes a little after a year after it issued a notice of violation to Chemical Waste Management, which operates Oregon's only hazardous waste landfill near a Columbia River town. Columbia River, that's got water in it, doesn't it? 
An investigation found CWM had dumped 1,200 tons of radioactive waste, about 2.5 million pounds, in the landfill over the course of just three years. That's a lot of waste. Oregon law prohibits the establishment of a radioactive waste disposal facility in the state. Those fools. After the violation, CWN had to come up with a plan for what to do with the waste. So the company offered either to dig it up and ship it to another state where it's legal, hello Nevada, or to just leave it in the ground and monitor the effects. Just place a Geiger counter on its border every once in a while. The company preferred to leave it in place. Big surprise. This is exactly where you want potentially dangerous materials and dangerous materials, said a spokesperson for the company. The uh, Department of Energy in Oregon agreed to that plan with amendments. He said, it said removing the waste, quote, would pose a greater risk to landfill workers than leaving the waste in place. It is a hazardous waste landfill of which there are not that many in the nation, said a nuclear waste remediation specialist with the Department of Energy. They do have specific design features that are meant to contain waste for long periods of time. You know, a decade? Despite the fact that radioactive waste is not permitted in the facility. (laughs) The company will be subject to more stringent water quality monitoring under the agreement. The uh, Department of Energy has also directed the company to install a portal to scan shipments of waste for radioactivity before the waste goes in the ground. That would be prudent now that it's been doing that all along. Not monitoring, that is. The landfill has been conducting additional monitoring outlined by the Department of Energy for several months. The agency will require the company to review current and recent waste streams to ensure the company hasn't accepted other radioactive material in the past. This all started a couple of years ago when a tipster from North Dakota alerted Oregon regulators that the landfill might have been accepting radioactive waste from a company called Goodnight Midstream. They provide water disposal and recycling services to the oil and gas industry. A subsequent investigation found Goodnight Mainstream conducted, contracted a third-party company, Oilfield Waste Logistics, to dispose of solid waste from a project in um, one of the um, major oil and natural gas deposits in the Dakotas. The company, that company, Oilfield Waste Logistics, then misrepresented to CWN what material it was sending to the Oregon landfill to be dumped. That's according to the Department of Energy's former assistant director for nuclear safety. Basically said this waste does fit within Oregon's uh, regulations. The other part of the problem is that chemical waste management did not do their due diligence to ensure what they were being told was, in fact, accurate. Uh, Two companies were fined $60,000 and $308,000, respectively. The company uh, spokesperson said they had a gap in our process. Ouch. That sounds like surgery to me. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe you could just put a big Band-Aid over it. A gap in our process that the company has now addressed. The landfill stopped accepting the waste as soon as they learned it was illegal. Today, said the spokesman for the company, Chemical Waste Management, Today I can say with confidence that we are in full compliance, that our protections are better and stronger than ever, unquote. This reminds me of the statement by the United States Army Corps of Engineers. Here he goes again. 
after the completion of the new risk reduction hurricane system that New Orleans has never had a stronger system of protection than it does now. Of course, the last one resulted in the, the near destruction of the city. So that's an easy boast to make. So now they, they're making it up in Oregon. Never had better protection for that landfill than now when we're not accepting radioactive fracking waste anymore. What the frack? And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Parade of Horribles continues with news of the warm, won't you? Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen. The U.S. must seriously consider the idea of tinkering with the atmosphere to cool a warming Earth. And it should accelerate research into how and whether humanity should hack the planet. That's according to the National Academy of Sciences. The report doesn't recommend carrying out solo geoengineering to bounce heat back to space yet. But an emergency plan needs to be explored, the report says. Because we may not have a choice. Climate change extreme weather has worsened since the last time the Academy looked at the issue, way back in 2015. So the research would be into whether air technology would work, its potentially dangerous side effects, its ethics, and the potential for political fallout. Uh Uh-oh. The report looks at three possible ways to cool the air, putting heat-reflecting particles in the stratosphere, changing the brightness of ocean clouds and thinning high clouds. You know, like like male pattern baldness, baldness, I guess. Climate engineering is a really dumb idea, but it might not be as dumb as doing nothing at this point or continuing to do what we've been doing. That's from a chemist at Scripps Institution of Oceanography and a co-author of the report. It has a lot of risks, and those are important to learn about as much as we can. Panel recommended... Way big increase in spending. $40 million a year. Why, that's that's table stakes. Those are delicious, by the way. Along with e- exit ramps to end study if an unacceptable risk is found. I honestly don't know whether or not it's going to make sense, said the uh, committee chairman, who's at Stanford. Critics where there's a moral hazard providing a tempting option to use questionable technology instead of the necessary cutting back on carbon pollution. No, we wouldn't. He said the term geoengineering wrongly makes it sound like humans have control over heat like a thermostat. Uh, Another researcher sees geoengineering as a safety feature for the planet, like car airbags you hope to never need. Why, it's an earth bag. A Harvard University team is working on a small-scale experiment where eventually a balloon, Tom? A balloon. Yes, sir. Would uh, put a few pounds of aerosols 12 miles into the air to reflect the sun. That group hopes to run a system test with no chemical injection later this year over Sweden. Wasn't that an Ingmar Bergman film, Balloon Over Sweden? It should have been. 
Maybe Woody can make it. The ocean, getting back to the warm, is dynamic in nature, playing a crucial role as a planetary thermostat. However, in response to climate change, the ocean, as you know, or you don't know this, you knew it's become warmer and more acidic. It's also become more stable over the past 50 years. Tick, six times stabler. Ten times stabler. Sorry. Uh, than previously estimated, as shown by a new study uh, from researchers at the Sorbonne have conducted with an international team. Warming waters, melting glaciers, and disrupted precipitation patterns have created an ocean surface layer that is now cut off from the depth. <laughs> Just as oil and water separate, so the division of surface and deeper waters limits oceanic mixing, making it harder for the ocean to sound good. No, to mitigate climate change because uh, the colder water from underneath does not percolate upward. Percolate probably the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Migrating upward to uh, cool the warmer waters above. Further, climate change has strengthened winds. That has thickened the ocean surface layer by uh, 5 to 10 meters per Meters? It just says M. Per decade over the last half century, this has hindered vital access to light for most marine organisms within it. These findings were published in the latest edition of Nature. Remember Nature? These findings underscore the consequences of climate change and anthropogenic, that's us, phenomena for the ocean and its capacity to remain a global thermostat into the future. Oh, they canceled the future. Did you hear about that? Well, ladies and gentlemen, all that may be true. But on the other hand, it's springtime.
And if you think you caught the mistake of Spinal Tap using the subjunctive properly, you're right. This, from New Orleans, this is Le Show, and um, I dredged up a recent quote, quote from this week from the former president, only fair to uh, dredge up a uh, somewhat less recent quote from the current president. See what I'm doing? This is from Joe Biden. I don't have the tape, but this is from the transcript. Joe Biden on Meet the Press 11 years ago. We, uh, at the recent Lisbon conference, the NATO conference, he says, where we said, we're starting this process. This is the process of withdrawing from Afghanistan. That's what he's talking about. We're starting this process just like we did in Iraq. We're starting it in July of 2011, and we're going to be totally out of there, Afghanistan, come hell or high water by 2014. Unquote Joe Biden. Now, of course, May 1st is a deadline set by former ex-President Trump in an agreement with the Taliban last year for all American troops to be withdrawn. We're now hearing from the Biden administration, well, well, this from Deutsche Welle, the German broadcasting news organization, the Taliban could largely retake Afghanistan within two or three years if American troops leave without the warring sides reaching a power-sharing deal. That's what intelligence agencies have told President Biden. A rushed U.S. exit from Afghanistan. Can't stay longer than 20 years, guys. Sorry. Uh, without finalized peace terms between Taliban and insur- insurgents and the Kabul government could end bitterly, the intelligence agencies have warned. And uh, that assessment was originally compiled last year for the Trump administration. Talks are still dragging on between envoys of the Taliban and the Kabul government. That didn't start until very recently. The Taliban wouldn't even talk to the government of Ashraf, President Ashraf Ghani. The Taliban last year vowed that if all U.S. and international forces were withdrawn by May 1st, it would enter into such intra-Afghan peace talks and cut ties with al-Qaeda. Didn't know they had them. Didn't know al-Qaeda war ties. At his first... White House news conference this week, Biden said it would be hard to comply with the May 1st deadline, although he could not picture U.S. troops still being there next year. We will leave, said Biden. The question is when we leave. No kidding. No kidding, dude. Biden's officials were jockeying to influence the new president and his defense secretary. Lloyd Austin visited Kabul last weekend. He said only that America wanted a, quote, responsible end to the war without end. At the United Nations, U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield warned that gains for Afghan women, girls, and health care would not be sacrificed. We will not give an inch on this point, she said. Let's check that one back in 11 years. Last uh, Wednesday, an early election proposed by President Ghani's Kabul government was rejected by the Taliban who said any decision on the future of the country must be reached at the talks. Going to election would be scandalous, said the Taliban spokesperson. And the Taliban said a troop, American troop presence, or European, NATO, beyond May 1st would amount to a violation, and it would be compelled to continue its jihad. 
against foreign forces to liberate the country. In recent months, Taliban attacks on foreign troops in Afghanistan have largely ceased, although assaults on Afghan security forces and personnel have continued. The um, talks were going on between the United States and Taliban representatives in Doha, in Qatar, until recently. Now there are uh, plans, well, there was uh, a, a meeting in Moscow recently uh, of Russia, China, Pakistan, the Taliban, the uh, Ghani government, and the United States. They're going to have another meetup coming up in Turkey. They're good people, that government. Um, that's, that's how it looks to Deutsche Welle and therefore from here. What does it look like over there? From Afghanistan Public Radio, home of the year-round pledge drive. From the abandoned American television truck in downtown Kabul, the city that never wakes up, I'm Mahmoud. <laughs> and I'm Hamid. We're Slick and Slack, the permanent transition brothers. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Cars I Talk. Today's program comes to you with the assistance of the Afghan Bar Association. Lawyers and drinks. We've got them both. <laughs> well, my younger brother, another springtime, another fighting season? Yes, it's now as much a part of our traditional calendar as a Kandahar trash fire day. Yes, that's a smoke you can never forget. Mm -mm. But we're also nearing a momentous point in our glorious country's journey towards the future. The 1st of May. Ah, yes. Another American troops will all be gone day. Mm -hmm. It comes around every once in a while, and it always means a rush to exchange dollars for Afghanis, just in case. Oh, I know. There's an American Express office near my Toyota dealership, and that day always brings a crowd to the neighborhood. Some of them are scared enough I can sell them a Tundra, just in case they need a off-road escape. And they're that scared before they do business with you. <laughs> uh, Hello, you're on I Talk. Hello, this is Yuri Gregorovich, long-time Russian foreign office officer, first-time caller to anybody. Yuri, welcome to the show. You, you people had a, a big sort of conference in your capital, so my younger mm. brother mm. tells me. Yes, it was a very successful conference. Representatives of... Russia, China, Pakistan, the United States, the Taliban, and the Afghan government were all there as the talks began. Oh, and uh, in what way was, may I ask, was it successful? They were all there as the talks ended. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was this the first time the Taliban actually sat across a table from the Afghan government? Mm. Yes, although with the COVID distancing and all the parties in attendance, plus the translation teams, uh, they did end up about three tables away from each other. As the saying has it, a journey of a thousand miles begins with yelling across three tables. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, there was no yelling. Mm. Uh, you might be surprised to learn that there was a unanimous agreement. Really? On power sharing in the new government? On... Uh, 
stepping down armed forces region by region? On Toyota's being the official vehicle of the new government? No, on uh, meeting next month in Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, gentlemen, that, that was a very important second step. Really? What was the first? Reserving the hotel rooms in Turkey. Yuri, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you uh -huh. said you were a long-time officer in the foreign affairs section of the Russian government. Oh, it's true. I'm almost eligible for the brass watch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so were you there when the United States forced Russia to leave our country? As a matter of fact, I was. It was several years of protracted struggle, mm. both of our countries spent a lot of blood and money. Frankly, we feel rather pleased with ourselves. Oh, really? Why? All it's costing us to get the U.S. out of your country is the price of three tables. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. <laughs> Gee, the Russians sure have changed their accents since the old days. I've been listening to some of our early broadcasts. Hmm? So have we. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you're on Kazai Talk. Hello, I'm Yusuf Khani. Long-time brother of the president, uh, first-time caller. You mean the other president? And I'm the former president. Mm. My brother has what you might call uh, Trump syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. But, uh, uh, Yusuf, yes. how is your brother Ashraf? He must be uh, somewhat relieved to be seeing something that looks like perhaps the end of this particular one of our many wars? Well, all he has ever been is a wartime president, Hamid. Oh, I know the feeling. <laughs> now he enters a space where the Taliban object to a new election. Mm -hmm. Talks could drag on. Mm -hmm. He could be stuck in an endless transition. He could always quit. I and end up doing a public radio show? On good pledge days, it's a living. Actually, he's determined to see the process through. I, on the other hand... Oh, uh, you've been doing what in his administration? Uh, well, most recently, I've been head of the space program. We have a space program? Mm -hmm. How come you didn't make me head of that? Ashraf started it. I didn't think we could afford it. Oh, you are right. <laughs> so I'm calling to see if possibly your... A younger brother needs a new sales associate. A what? A, a, a customer relations specialist, a showroom floor consultant. A car salesman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, Yusuf, mm -hmm. uh, we had to do some belt tightening first with the COVID mm -hmm. and then uh, some more belt tightening with the heightened fighting last year. Yusuf, things have gotten so bad in February, my brother had to eat the belt. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Uh, but we know how to find you if and when. And, and Yusuf, mm -hmm. please tell Ashraf hello for me and tell him if he thinks the tunnel is bad, wait till he sees the light. <laughs> 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 Thanks for the call. We had help today from the Afghan Health Department, making tomorrow's vaccines the day after tomorrow. Legal services for cars I talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Newcomb. I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. Join us next time for another edition of Cars I Talk. This is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio.
fraco de vidro, é a vida, é o sol, é a noite, é a morte, é o laço, é o anzol, é peroba do cão, é o ró da madeira, canga, canga. é uma tita pereira, é madeira de vento, da é o mistério profundo, é o queiro não queira, é o vento ventando, é o fim da ladeira, é a viga, é o vão, festa da comida, é a chuva chovendo, é conversa ribeira, das águas de março, é o fim da canseira, é o pé, é o chão, é a mastradeira, passarinho na mão, pedra de atiradeira, é uma ave no céu, é uma ave no chão, é um regato, é uma fonte, é um pedaço de pão, é o fundo do Gentlemen, news of the godly. There's so much godliness around this week. The Archbishop of Cologne, <laughs> no, the city, admitted to a systematic cover-up in his archdiocese this week, just days after a team of German lawyers released a major 800-page report on sexual abuse cases in the city. It should never have happened like this, Cardinal Rainier Maria Voelke said, adding that administrative chaos, a system of silence, secrecy, and a lack of control, 
as well as a lack of compassion and empathy, had contributed to the scandal. That's all. Rigorous action now had to be taken to prevent this from happening in the future, Wilke conceded. The report found that between 1975 and 2018, 202 people within the Cologne Archdiocese were suspected of involvement in abuse and that 63% of those were religious officials, clerics. You're you're clerics. In almost half of the cases, the allegations pertain to sexual abuse or serious sexual abuse. The remainder were classified as other types of sexual misconduct and personal boundary violations. Excuse me, is that your tongue? A number of bishops and other church officials have been suspended or have offered their resignations in the wake of the report's release. Voidke was officially absolved by the report, he said on Tuesday. He often wondered whether he had failed the victims. Hmm. Hmm. The Marist brothers have admitted multiple failings as uh, the abuse in care inquiry in New Zealand Here's from its first Catholic witnesses. The religious order has paid out more than $352,000 U.S. in compensation to New Zealand victims since the mid-90s. One survivor is calling for an independent study to investigate abuse claims. At just five years old, Frances Tagaloa was abused by a man she should have been able to trust, a Marist brother. The abuse at her school carried on for two years. She gave evidence to the inquiry late last year. This week, she received an apology. As a member of the Catholic Church, I'd like to apologize for these actions. I'd like to acknowledge Marist Brothers' shortcomings, failings, and mistakes, said the professional standards delegate of Marist Brothers, Brother Peter Horide. The brothers admitted prior to 2016 there was no clear policy for dealing with those responsible, and their process for dealing with complaints delayed settlements. They also noted, tell me if this sounds familiar, the constant movements of brothers around the country may have helped hide their offending. The survivors say they don't want apologies. They'd like an independent body to investigate complaints, backed by an ex- expert witness to the uh, further inquiry, the, the current inquiry. This myth that an institution can investigate itself, he says, is a myth. The myth is a myth. That's plain speaking for you. This week, the scandal-plagued Legionaries of Christ Religious Order published its latest report detailing what they have done and what they still need to do to repair the damage done and guarantee safe spaces for minors from third-party investigations to mandatory formation seminars and revealing the names of priests found guilty of abuse. This is from a, I believe, Catholic news organization called AngelusNews.com. The religious congregation continues to claim it is cleaning house after a report last year showed the late father Marcial Maciel Delgado, Delgado, founder of the Legionaries, was far from being the only priest in the movement who indulged in abusive behavior. The document also provides an update on the allegation the Legion has received and investigated. Two-thirds of the Legion's primary uh, priestly victims, priestly victims, 60, were allegedly abused by Maciel, the order's founder. Most were boys between 11 and 16. A report on allegations presented last year looking into cases from 1941 had collected accusations against 33 legionary priests. Monday's report clarified that in two of the cases it was not possible to confirm it was a case of sexual abuse against a minor. 
Of the 27 priests found guilty or who have confessed, 16 are still members of the congregation, though not in active ministry. I'll take that passive ministry any day of the week. You can do it on the couch by yourself. In 2010, the Vatican took over the Legion and imposed a process of reform after an investigation showed Maciel had sexually abused seminarians and fathered at least three children with two women. He was removed from ministry by the Pope in 2006. That was the German Pope, Pope Benedict. He had conducted the investigation against the Mexican priest while he was head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. That's the Vatican office that deals with allegations of clerical abuse against minors. Oh, they have an office for that, you see. Vatican found he had created a system of power built on silence, deceit, and obedience that enabled him to lead a double life and which led to a multi-generational chain of abuses. A third of the priestly abusers were themselves victims of Maciel, while others were victims of his victims. <laughs> I, the the wastebasket waste has never been closer. I'm not. I'm not aiming. It's just. It's just good fortune, and that would be our news of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Maybe those victims don't want an apology, but right about now, I do. Right about now, I want an apology, and that wasn't it. Where's my apologies when I need them? Oh yes, they're right here. The apologies of the week, that is. We're so sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Germany, we're just talking about Germany. Germany week on the show. Germany will no longer implement a stricter shutdown over the Easter holiday period. Chancellor Merkel announced this week, calling the plan a mistake. It was a COVID plan. And apologizing to citizens. This is a speedy reversal of a plan announced just the day before to extend COVID restrictions in Germany another month. The new restrictions faced public criticism due to the lack of public discussion preceding it. Merkel announced the change in plans after an impromptu call with the governors of Germany's 16 states. The idea was a mistake. Of course, I know that the whole matter triggers more uncertainty. I regret that deeply, and I apologize to all citizens. Dayline Buffalo, New York, following racist comments made on the morning bull radio show on 97 Rock. This week, Rob Laterman has released a public statement on Twitter apologizing for the incident. Laterman was terminated from his role at the station Wednesday evening. Two other hosts of the show were suspended. After several local advertisers announced they were pulling their affiliations with the radio station. Letterman created a Twitter account Thursday tweeting a public apology as his very first tweet. I want to sincerely apologize for hurting people with my foolish and ignorant comments yesterday. After listening to what I said and how it must have sounded to others, I was horrified. I wanted her 100% understand why people are justifiably angry. I made a mistake. It's hard to look myself in the mirror, but I want to acknowledge it. I apologize from the deepest depths of who I am. Sincerely, Rob Lederman. And he's not going to look in the mirror anymore. He's selling his mirror. And what he did was he compared toast to the skin tones of black women. 
Cumulus Media, the owner of 97 Rock, also apologized and deeply regret the incident. But a new morning team is coming soon. Dayline Wellington, New Zealand, New Zealand's Catholic Church, did apologize to the survivors of abuse within the church and said its systems and culture must change. That was from Cardinal John Doe. Not Doe, Doe, the Archbishop of Wellington, made the apology at the Royal Commission into Abuse in Care, mentioned earlier on this broadcast. Dateline Nagata, Japan, Tokyo Electric Power Company, President Tomoaki Kobayakawa, uh, this week offered an apology to the governor of Nagata Prefecture over a series of security flaws at the firm's Kashiwazaki Kariwa nuclear power plant. I sincerely apologize for causing great concern, Kobayakawa told the uh, governor of the province in their meeting. We will make all-out efforts to identify the causes of the flaws and advance drastic reforms, he said. The governor criticized TEPCO, saying the problems, including insufficient measures to protect the facility located in his uh, prefecture against possible terror effects, quote, seriously damaged our residents' trust in the company. The current situation, he went on to say, makes us question the qualification of, of the company as a nuclear power plant operator, he said. Having heard your words of apology and pledge, I now warn you to put what you said into action and achieve results. And uh, Kabayakawa replied, we will rebuild the power plant with a determination that we should be reborn. That's a good translation. That's TEPCO. Of course, they're better known for Fook. But apparently, they Fook all over the place. The row over reports that a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad was shown to pupils at a West Yorkshire school has been hijacked by extremists on both sides. This is in England, according to a former chair of the Conservative Party, who told uh, BBC she'd spoken to pupils and parents over the past 24 hours. It's obvious that many pupils were both were left distressed because of what happened. What's most important is the kids and their learning. Dozens of protesters gathered outside the school after claims that a member of staff had shown students a cartoon deemed offensive to the Islamic faith during a religious studies lesson. More protesters gathered outside the school. The school unequivocally apologized for showing, quote, totally inappropriate material to children and said a member of the staff had been suspended pending an investigation. Can't investigate yourself. That myth is a myth. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
I let pass for a moment another quote from the Archbishop of Cologne. He admitted to a systematic cover-up in addition to the administrative chaos system of silent secrecy. Systematic cover-up, ladies and gentlemen. Smells like cologne. edition of the show back next week same time on the radio whatever time you want on your audio device of choice it would be just like a systematic uncover up if you'd agree to join with me then would you already thank you very much Uh uh-huh tip of the show the show chapeau to the san diego desk to the hawaii desk to pam halstead and to thomas walsh here at wwnofm the email address for this program if you want to write to me the playlist of the music heard here on if you want to know what you're listening to and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts so you can wear the guys all at harryshare.com and if you want to talk to me in another way I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer the show comes to you from Century Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network so long from the Crescent City